All right, folks, welcome back to the Not Funny Guys Presents Why Exploring Philosophy, Rhetoric, and Cultural Impact of the MCU. I am your host, Dr. John, and this week I am joined by a special guest, my colleague, Dr. Catherine Silva. She's Associate Professor of History and Chair of Humanities and Social Sciences at Claflin University, where we both work. So this pod, just to remind everybody, is an extension of our main podcast, Not Funny Guys Presents Off the Reels, where we explore the films. And here we will explore some of the ideas that stick out in some vigorous debate, hopefully a nice dialogic conversation where we both learn something. But we start by asking the question, why? And so this is episode 12, where we will be talking about the Black Panther. And so I want to start with our usual comic book origins. Let's start with some of the characters we were introduced to. So we have Black Panther or King T'Challa. He is a Marvel character created by Stanley and Jack Kirby, who first appeared in the Fantastic Four, number 52 in 1966. He is the ruler and protector of Wakanda. He receives, of course, enhanced powers by drinking the liquid heart-shaped herb, which is pretty spot on. They cover that pretty good in the film, too. But that is also accurate to the comic books. And of course, he is also noted as the first protagonist of African descent in mainstream American comics. Um, he predates the Falcon, who was in 1969, and Luke Cage in 1972, and Blade in 1973, also from DC Comics, Green Lantern's John Stewart in 1971. So he predates all of those. He's a pioneer here. Now, we also are introduced to his sister, Shuri, um, who is his sister. And also at one point, we will see later, uh, will in the comic books also held the black mantle of Black Panther. Uh, that happened in 2005 in the comic books, but we'll see that later in Wakanda Forever. She was created by Reginald Holden and John Ramana Jr. And she first appeared in 2005 in Black Panther Volume 4, Number 2. So she's a much more recent character edition. We also have Eric Killmonger. Uh, Najaka, I believe is the, the his African name, was created by Don McGregor and Rich Buckler, Buckler. He first appeared in Jungle Action, Number 6, 1973, commonly depicted as a skilled hunter and mercenary who was born in Wakanda, but raised outside and therefore has some resentments and, of course, repeatedly challenges T'Challa for the throne, which does come into play in the movie. We also have Queen Ramonda, uh, was created by Don McGregor and Jean Colin and first appeared in Marvel Comics Presents number 14 in 1989. She is the, actually in the comic books the mother of Shuri and the stepmother of T'Challa who she met when he was separated from his father and that she helped reunite them um, when they were on a border expedition. And she then later married his father, King T'Chaka. Um, slightly different, of course, in the movie, but I get it. And then, of course, I wanted to make sure I introduced one of my favorite characters, M'Baku, leader of the Jabari tribe, Wakanda, and one of Wakanda's greatest warriors. He was created by Roy Thomas and John Bushima and first appeared in Avengers number 62 in 1969. He went oftentimes calling himself the Man-Ape, and he is a choice challenge Black Panther uh, when he brought the Avengers to Wakanda because he not only has a sort of outsider phobia, sort of xenophobia towards outsiders, but he, of course, he is also a bit of the anti-technological element as well. And then, of course, we come to probably not my favorite comic book villain, but he was very well portrayed, I thought, in the film, Ulysses Claw. Um not in the course in the films, we do not see him clad in the spandex that he sometimes gets dressed up in in the um in the comic books. But I found his backstory really fascinating because, of course, Ulysses Crawl was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. He first appeared in Fantastic Four number 53 as himself and then as Claw in number 56. In the comics, he is actually the son of a Nazi war criminal, Colonel Fritz Claw, who served under Baron Strucker. 
His father was sent to Wakanda by Hitler himself, apparently, in World War II to try and gain its secrets. Ulysses was raised in Belgium on the stories of Wakanda after the war. He, of course, is a physicist who worked on applied sonics, of course, stealing vibranium as a power device, um, power of the device that we will then see in the film where his hand was removed by Ultron and has, of course, been in conflict with both Black Panther's father, T'Chaka, who he ended up killing and was later escaped after that murder. And of course, in that escape is when T'Challa himself ripped off his right hand. Of course, these were changed to some degree, of course, in the film. I will say that Andy Serkis and Michael B. Jordan as Claw and Killmonger, respectively, really chew up the scenery. Those two gentlemen in the film eat the scene, the scenes they're in just dramatically. And so for our topic discussion today, I would like to talk about this idea about was Killmonger right? And I'm going to start by referencing uh, a 2018 Atlantic article by Adam Server where he writes that Killmonger is a tragic character. He calls um, the film Black Panther a love letter to the people of Africa, to Africa, and Africa and African descent over the world. The love letter, though, is haunted by a void. That void is the psychic and cultural wound created by the transatlantic slave trade, the loss of life, culture, language, and history that could never be restored. And it was that void that created Killmonger. Director Ryan Coogler asks if an African superpower like Wakanda existed with all its power, its monopoly and its invaluable sci-fi metal vibranium and its advanced technology, how could it have remained silent, remained still as millions of Africans were devoured by the void? Two billion people all over the world who look like us, whose lives are much harder and Wakanda has the tools to liberate them all, Killmonger scolds, the Wakandan court. Where was Wakanda? Killmonger's stated purpose, of course, is to liberate Black people all over the world, has sparked a lively discussion over whether he is a bad guy to begin with. What could be so bad about Black liberation? He goes on here to mention the idea that he, in many ways, reflects kind of a depiction of Magneto, who in many ways in the X-Men universe has a similar place that he is fighting against these injustices. So I want to ask this question, where do we think Killmonger is right? And where perhaps does he go wrong? And was he right? Mm, that's a great question. I talk about Killmonger quite a bit in my African Kingdoms class, but also interspersed in others. There's a lot to be said for what Killmonger does. Honestly, uh, in my opinion, I always felt like he was right in a lot of ways, um, that he was not the villain a little bit of an anti-hero, but really reflective of how many of us who have African descent, who are outside of the continent, really look at colonialism and capitalism. And he really had a lot to say um, that was really important. Um, so I feel for me, Killmonger is right a lot of, in a lot of ways. I always think about that first uh, major scene when he's in the museum discussing where where oh it's one of my favorites i talk about it so much and so i spend a lot of time talking about objects and who's taking these objects and what do they mean and just being able to point out you know this is not um what you think it is you stole this and this is what it actually means you think you mean you know what it means as a colonizer but i'm going to take it back and i understand what this power of wakanda is and what vibranium is and the fact that Wakanda is not using vibranium to liberate Africans across the uh, world is really a question that we really want to think about. You know, how much are we brothers and sisters in 
our oppression? How much are we thinking about what we see? How do we see each other um, in in our our oppression? And how do we help each other as well? So I think those questions are really part of the film that we that has been kind of a lively debate going on. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I I think it's very fascinating. Is that you know, if I I keep from my perspective of coming to pure from comic books, I'm thinking about this in terms of what he's accusing Wakanda is: you have great power, but you're not taking great responsibility with it. You know, mm-hmm. the Peter Parker maxim, which I've always thought is a sort of a maxim for all superheroes, is with great power comes great responsibility. And he basically turns the mirror on them and says, the thing you haven't been considering is that you could be doing much more. You have the ability and the power to do so and yet you choose to do nothing you basically play silent you have your war dogs out there your people who are there listening and paying attention but you're like it's like you're adhering to some sort of weird prime directive from star trek where it's like well can't interfere and it's like but you should exactly well self-preservation becomes a really a big theme with wakanda um keeping itself safe from colonialism they are there's some good points about that. The fact that when outside powers understand something that is as precious as vibranium, and we can relate that to diamonds or titanium or another any other product, rubber in Africa, that they are in fact exploited and those great kingdoms do fall apart because Western powers are so um, overwhelming. But I think that Wakanda has built itself to a point where they can actually really fight that. And we see that within the film itself. And I think it's at the point where they can um, intercede in many ways, but that may not have may not have always been true. I think sometimes we also need to kind of think about where were they were where were they historically at different points, mm-hmm. and we don't really get so much of a history of that. When did vibranium become such a powerful force, and also they're able to use it in a way that was so protective, so that they could actually ward themselves off of um, colonial power. But uh, Kilmogger is right also that where, what happened to me? Where am I? Where where are we? And how could we use vibranium to actually, now that we have um, understood how to use it, how can we liberate ourselves with it? Well, I thought it was interesting was when Claw is being interrogated by Ross and he says, it's El Dorado. It's just, they were looking in the wrong place. And I thought that was a fascinating discussion, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I bet the Wakandans made sure you thought it was in South America just so you went looking somewhere else, you know, but you're right. I think there may have been a time when they were less prepared to use it in a way that could have benefited. But you're right. They have reached at this point. It looks very obvious to most of us. And if not so, by the time we get to Infinity War, it's quite obvious they have the abilities to probably do more good in the world. I think it comes down to a clash in my mind between Killmonger's vision of doing it and then what T'Challa takes up. And that Killmonger is Mm -hmm. obviously, for all his good intentions or his being right, he feels like there's a a, a poison injected into him through what he's had to do as being kind of a tool of the colonizers, as he might put it. You know, the things he's had to do in a way and the way he's been out there and how his worldview has been kind of changed or warped in such a way that he can only see violence is perhaps an answer right. which i find that that's where it gets a little problematic is that his mind is that the only thing is but it's like are you not just simply doing what the other side did to you back and like how does that 
actually improve things other than make a lot of blood. I so much agree. And it's so interesting the time these comic books were written, right? So mm-hmm. we're looking at the early T'Challa's, right, in time of Dr. King, and we're having some conversation about Malcolm X as well. But then when we have Killmonger come into it, that's when we're having the anti-colonial um, movements. We have their liberation movements in the continent and across the diaspora. But you're also seeing more and more groups that are coming up like the Black Panthers. So I think it's very reflective of what's happening part of the world of global conversation about what does it mean when we become a superpower? What does it mean when we have access? And I think there's also this idea of violence versus maybe um, revolution. And I think that really Killmonger represents revolution more so than violence. I think that sometimes that we think when people push back from oppression and it might use means that were used against them, that that seems like anti, um, anti, anti what they're trying to do, right? So it pro- becomes really problematic. But really, honestly, you need sometimes to use that violence. I always think about Angela Davis in Black Power Mixtape when she says violence, you're talking about violence and she's talking about the four little girls who are bombed and she's like no we're just trying to see ourselves as human beings and we're trying to make sure that we have the uh, power to fight back and i think killmarger is doing some of that now mm-hmm. of course it's an exaggerated form yeah. but i think that that is the underlying theme for killmonger is that i'm trying to become free and i want my people to become free and how do i do that well i might have to use violence to do that I think that's very fair. I think that's those are excellent points. You know, I was thinking about a, a presentation I was listening to and speaking about Mike the connection with like things like Magneto. Um, I have you know, someone was talking in a presentation, he was presenting the idea that in a lot of ways, Professor X and Magneto are kind of stand-ins for Mal, uh, MLK and Malcolm X. And in a sort of a sense here, you've got that kind of same split where they kind of in a way, Jachala and him both want to do more. They just happen to perhaps disagree about how far that should go. And I think it's mm-hmm. a strange thing to think that what it would have been like if they had been allies, you know, yes. just think of what they could have, how much more they could have accomplished if they had actually mm-hmm. somehow found a way to reconcile things. Perhaps in my mind, I'm thinking, what if his father had brought him back to Wakanda, brought the boy back and what a difference that would have made. You know, it's unfortunate to see that in a lot of ways, his death is a weakening of Wakanda right. to some degree. And I mean, I think T'Challa tries to, as Black Panther tries to carry on that legacy to a degree, I think he feels a strong sense of obligation because I think he very much learned from this experience. Because, you know, when we were talking about the film, the main podcast, just thinking about Killmonger's existence is like a rip and just a total rip in his belief about everything he thought he knew about his father and his growing up and his heritage and Wakanda it like forces him like when he has that fight I'm like you are not emotionally prepared for this fight you are going to lose you this guy has every you know psychological advantage over you because first thing he did was he blew you out of the water before you even physically engaged with one another you know right knows who he is he knows exactly the whole history child in some ways is very naive and killmonger is kind of that person in our lives who understands the entire landscape and sometimes you want to just have blinders on and killmonger can't have blinders on because of the way he was raised 
because of what he was forced into. And so T'Challa in so many ways is really idealistic and in his idealism does not necessarily bring Wakanda to the next level as what Killmonger would. However, I would say that Killmonger also represents some immaturity also. Like, it's just so simple. We'll just blow up everything. And that yeah. doesn't work that way. And I also think that I'm, I'm really glad that they have these two characters because it also represents that Black people are not a monolith, right? African people are not a monolith. We don't all have the same approach, the same problem. And that there has to be diversity within that. We have to consider different viewpoints. And by doing so, like you said, if those two brothers could have come together as a younger person, a younger age, maybe it would have worked, but sometimes family don't always agree. No. So... So it's it's interesting to see what could have happened, but I think if we want to think of it in a positive way, if those two could have come together, it would have been an incredibly powerful force. But I also think that the colonial powers would have definitely seen that and really tried very hard um, to oppress them, which is where you see the assassinations of the 1960s. And, and you, you see we'll the oppression. See, we, we'll see this again in Wakanda Forever is this attempt that, that you know, to exploit it, to take what they have, and just reinforcing, oh, you didn't change, you know, you're you're still doing right. the same thing. Like I, not that we haven't gotten to yet in the experience, but I love that opening sequence when the special forces guys on that boat get ambushed, and then she, Queen Ramonda, brings them in and puts them right in front of everybody. And I'm like, that's exactly. right, you <laughs> caught them at their game. And it's like, well, you haven't changed. But I, I do think you're exactly. right about the, you know. Killmonger's 90 but I think you know when talking about the diversity I also think that even just the way that Brian Coogler brings to life the Wakandan culture that it is into itself not a monolith there are different nice. tribes and different representations that kind of embody different aspects of African culture that I think is really fascinating because one of the things we talked about in the main pod is just like what you get in this film is like a anthropological exploration of something that you are incredibly have had maybe no exposure to it. And you're like, wow, you know, cause I right. talk about this in my relationship to my own journey to coming to Claflin university and that I started reading like graphic novels and things like that. And things like that, that were exposing me to things like, you know, about the civil rights movement. And I was like, my reaction to it was like, I know some people out there may have a reaction like, Oh no, I don't, I don't, you know, that make you uncomfortable for me. It was like, no, tell me more. You know, and one of the reasons why I was right. eager to take the job at Clapham University was like, I want to come here and teach, but I want to come here and learn. I want to find out those things I don't know, because I grew up a, a middle exactly. class white guy. And I'm like, wait a second. I don't know. But hold on. No, no, no. I let my curiosity lead me somewhere. And I'm like, that's one of the reasons why I have enjoyed Black Panther as a film so much is that it's another avenue bringing this to a larger audience of things that are just like. If you're curious and you want to know more, these are the kind of things you should be embracing. You know, absolutely. I saw Black Panther the first time. I was so in awe of how much they incorporated different ethnicities and uh, different um, ideas of Africanness into the film that are so rooted in real history. So thinking about Mali and thinking about the blankets um, that they wear in South Africa and the zoo. So it was very interesting to see how much um, Africanness was in there, to, to be frank. And I'm from Massachusetts. So when I came to Claflin University, <laughs> and especially when I came down to graduate school, I didn't know a lot about Southern culture. My mother's from Cape Verde Islands, and um, I grew up in Massachusetts, and it was very, you know, 1980s, 70s 
education. <laughs> so we only had so much in history. And I understood a lot of African history, but actually seeing Wakanda Forever and Black Panther together, it was such a great thing to see on the screen. I think that's why it was so popular is that for some people who understand, they got to see themselves. And for some people who have never seen it before and didn't know anything about African history, got to see something and learn something new. And also see it in a very fun and interesting way and a very nuanced, a very complicated story that I think really helps us have some interesting debates like we're doing right now in conversation. No, no, that's what I love. I love having like, because I think it is incredibly fascinating and I'm a big believer in like digging into the nuance of things and like what's in there. I don't want to flatten it out. I'm like, no, 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 don't flatten it out. Don't two dimensionalize it. Give me the depth. Let's go in there. Let's find out. Let's talk about it. I mean, that's all in my it's like in my DNA, you know, and speaking of my background, I grew up a white kid, middle-class kid in the South, in Louisiana, still didn't get the kind of exposure to things. And I'm like, okay, why wasn't I, you know, I'm like my curiosity because my bachelor's is in history. My background when I was in school was in history too. And I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. wait, what? You know, like I used <laughs> yeah. to, I remember getting mad when I was in American history and like, whenever you would look in the textbooks and the, you would get to the Mexican-American War, and it's like two pages. Fall and like yeah. bookended by a bunch of other stuff where you've given like 20 pages. And I'm like, why are we not? And I'm like, oh, it's because you were ashamed of that war. Got it. Okay. That's exactly. why we don't talk exactly. about it. We were an aggressor, you know. Yeah, you know, Utah, <laughs> Texas are all Mexican territories like 1848. Yeah. Like, you don't want to talk about that or Indian removal. So, yeah, exactly. And slavery spreading. So, I totally agree. There's so many things that we just don't know. And I think sometimes we can get really upset with American public that they don't know um, certain ideas. But as a historian person who teaches for, uh, for example, George Washington's Teachers Institute in uh, Washington, D.C. every summer, there is a lot of things that we don't know because we are not taught. And they were purposely left out of the textbooks or left out of our education. And then we have something like Black Panther comes along. Then people are like, wait, I'm curious. And for those of us who are lifelong learners, we're going to start asking questions. And this is what's so great about this podcast is that you get to have those conversations and sometimes in a way that you weren't expecting. And, oh, I love to see um, where it goes. Most of the time, like yeah. I've got like I've got the very bare bones of a script, but I I love getting off of it and just seeing where it goes. Like, where does the conversation lead? You know, that's the fun of it. You know, exactly. exactly. It's that this is where. You know, you continue to learn, you continue to grow. Even as a historian, I'm still learning new things and finding new things. And uh, right now, I just went to the African American Museum in Washington, D.C., oh, the, the Smithsonian. Okay, real quickly, real quickly, real quick, let me interject. I am going with my family to D.C. next summer, and that is on the top of my list of places to go with my kids. Oh, it's great. Five times. <laughs> I've been there <laughs> since the second on the first day it opened to the public, I was there. Nice. Um, but it actually now has that has uh, T'Challa's um, suit. And so Wakanda is prominently featured at the museum. So you're going to really enjoy that. My eldest he boy is, is going to love that. My, ki my <laughs> yes, kids, my kids love that movie. So my, my eldest son is going to be like. Exactly. It's just such a part of our culture and just be able to see that. And then everybody wanting to see that exhibit. It's like the must-see exhibit. Um, and especially since Chadwick Boseman has now passed away, yeah. it is such an important piece. 
of our history and thinking about that young man and also what he brought to that character. And also, I don't want to leave Michael B. Jordan and also, you know, his ability to bring that character to I wish he hadn't to died. Life. I wish that character could have lived or they would have brought him back because I'm glad he gets to come back. Not spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen it, but Wakanda Forever, he does make an appearance. But yes. I would have loved it. And yes, I love the fact is. that when he die when he's dying, he references the middle passage. When he when T'Challa right. brings him to see the sunset and he says, I wish I had jumped been one of those who jumped overboard, you know, to avoid mm-hmm. slavery, jumped off the boat. You know, he makes exactly, that reference exactly. there that if you know, you know, you're like, oh, what's he talking about? Oh, that, yeah, that. Right. And it's so interesting. I also want to say the women in this piece are also just so fabulous. Right. And really speak to how much women are important parts of different African cultures. And sometimes we think of patriarchy as the definition of African identity, but that is not true in all places in all times. That women oftentimes are warriors, they're actually kings and queens. They are um, very much part of the council of elders who make decisions. And so when you see these important women in this film, I think it's also great. And Suri doing tech is just great. I love the fact that she's the techie one who becomes and really the Dora Milaje are and magnificent. Yes, you know? yes, absolutely. Like I never, I you just know, when love you, when the. When you see them in that council, you know, it's like in the council, it's very obvious that everyone in there is an equal. You know, yes. women, male, female, doesn't matter. Like everybody in there has a voice and has an and there's an, and it's just it gives a vibe of equality. Like these women aren't just here because the men let them. It's very much like no, I'm here because I'm here you know exactly and again going back to america right so there's a lot of this coming through like kind of american ideology right so you see this also in the civil rights movement we tend to put the men in the forefront in the media but the actual history of civil rights and also african-american history is women really working side by side with men really pushing civil rights pushing agency and pushing liberation and resistance and so when you see this show up in wakanda and also black panther you're like okay i understand what this is coming from and they might actually make some people ask questions about why women for example black women are still continuing to earn higher education at really high rates of getting bachelor's degrees and why they're really successful is because it's always been that women are a part of the culture that we are moving that culture forward and that we're also resisting every day great so we all have a lot to learn here folks i think this has been an absolutely fabulous conversation um so just to wrap us up here tell us your thoughts folks we want to hear from you the audience so you can write us at notfunnyguys.offthereels at gmail.com you can hit us on instagram at not underscore funny underscore guys underscore presents we still, for some reason, have a Twitter account. I will never call it X at that Not Funny Guys Pod. And we are now on Blue Sky, also at the Not Funny Guys. So until next time, folks, everybody stay strange and keep asking questions. Till next time.